So, regarding my interpretations of Anchor, um, to be honest, dude, like, it seems wicked. I only picked it up today, um, and I'm just still getting a feel for the app, but I love the idea. In fact, I thought of it a few years ago. and was like, God, I should really put that into development and never follow through with it. But nevertheless, someone else has come up with the idea, and thank God, because it's, um, as far as I can see, really, really cool. I'm curious about how it's, um, it's going to do, how it's going to uh, develop over the in the future and stuff and um yeah i'm going to carry on watching and maybe even start contributing to the community myself relatively soon hi i just wanted to tell you that i found your station and i found it interesting interesting um i'm juan carlos from madrid spain and in my case i'm using anchor in order to interact with people to practice my english and improve it so well, uh, I will continue listening to your station since I think there are many important and interesting things to to hear from you. Uh, well, I hope everything is fine for you and keep up the good working. Bye bye. You just heard two call-ins that I had in reference to a segment I posted quite a while ago, which was specifically around how people were taking and using Anchor and what they feel the importance of it is. Uh, these two people were Fenar Ralston, which you can find on Instagram at that name, Fenar Ralston, um, F-E-N-N-A-R-R-A-L-S-T-O-N. He'll have to give me a round of applause if I've got that right. <laughs> and Juan Carlos, it's been great to hear from you both. And it's been great to hear two fascinating stories. One of having the idea of a few years ago, but never really getting to the finish line in terms of development. Um, and one of using it as a means to further improve their English language speaking. It's, it's two amazing little stories and it just goes to show what importance this app is having already and how it's going to spearhead a bit of a revolution in podcasting and a bit of a democratisation of audio-based entertainment. Now, with that said, I want to hear from more of you. I want to hear about what you feel the importance is of Anchor, how you're using it and how you're enjoying it. But also, since this is a podcast called Learn Something, I want to know what kind of weird facts and trivia you have to teach me. Because obviously, you learn something new every day and I want that something new to be something strange. So, do download the Anchor app do find the station and um, username is new riser media or you can find me under the learn something category with the name learn something and call in it'll be that little bubble on the left hand side of the three icons when you tap on my chat tap on my station sorry and yeah just pipe up let me know what you think of the app or share your strange trivia cool let's get on with the show the day is thursday the 10th of august I'm Jason England and welcome to Learn Something, the official show of NewRiserMedia.com where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts you've probably never heard before. On today's episode, we're opening up the history books, we're going back in time as today is Throwback Thursday. On today's segments, we're going to be talking about World War II, some of the weirder sides of it. We're going to be talking about the longest recorded time spent awake and school teachers, Tutu Carmoon, football, and MRSA. And of course, well, 
there will be a trivia time question towards the end of the show. And don't forget, if you have any other weird and wonderful historical facts, call in and let me know. Let's get on with it. This is going to be an interesting one. And now we start with the alarm clock. Chances are most of you are using the very device that you're listening to this on as your alarm clock in the morning. And before that, it would be bedside alarm clocks or the humble bell-based alarm clock. But before any of this was really in the popular culture, before lots of people bought these, how did people get up early in the morning for work? Well, it turns out that there was a profession in Britain called a knocker-upper, sometimes known as a knocker-up. In Britain and Ireland, this profession started during and lasted well into the Industrial Revolution and ended as late as the 1950s. And the job is as it states, to rouse sleeping people by knocking on their bedroom windows so they could get to work on time. The knocker-upper used a baton or short heavy stick to knock on the client's doors or a light and long stick often made of bamboo to reach windows on higher floors. At least one of them used a pea shooter in the past. In return, the knocker-up would be paid a few pence a week and the knocker-up would not leave a client's window until they were sure that the client had been awoken. And also, a knocker-upper would also use something called a snuffer-outer as a tool to rouse the sleep in. The implement was used to pull out gas lamps which were lit at dusk and then needed to be extinguished at dawn. There were large numbers of people carrying out the job, especially in larger industrial towns such as Manchester in the UK. Generally the job was carried out by elderly men and women but sometimes police constables supplemented their pay by performing the task during the early morning patrols. And before we move on to the next segment, we're going to get today's trivia time out of the way. First of all, we're going to answer the question from yesterday, which was, what was the final film ever to be released on VHS cassette tape? And the answer was, again, very, very lame sounding drum roll here, A History of Violence. So this film starred Viggo Mortensen and Ed Harris and they were petty criminals attempting to rob well they stopped a pair of criminals attempting to rob a small diner I will apologize for getting that plot so very wrong first time round there but it's kind of weird to think that the final ever VHS film was released in 2006 of all the times And now we turn our attention to World War II, one of, if probably, the biggest conflicts on the planet. Now, US soldiers had their own rations that they would take out onto the field with them, just like any other soldiers around the world. But did you know that Hershey made a chocolate bar for the US soldiers that was meant to taste so bad that soldiers would only eat it if they were starved? The first emergency chocolate ration bar commissioned by the United States Army was the Ration D, otherwise commonly known as the D ration, which was made by Hershey's Chocolate in April 1937. And Colonel Logan, who visited the chief chemist, Milton Hershey, had four requirements for the D ration bar. 
and that the bar was to weigh four ounces, be high in food energy value, be able to withstand high temperatures, and taste quote unquote a little better than a boiled potato. To keep soldiers from eating their emergency rations in non-emergency situations, its ingredients were chocolate, sugar, oat flour, cacao fat, skim milk powder, and artificial flavoring. And now we move on to Nutella, specifically when it was invented. Turns out that Nutella was made during World War II, when an Italian pastry maker mixed hazelnuts into chocolate to extend the lifespan to extend the lifespan of said chocolate. The product, called Pasta Gianduja, was originally sold as a solid block, but Ferrero started to sell a creamy version in 1951 as Super Creamer. After this, in 1963, Ferrero's son, Mikel, revamped it with the intention of marketing it throughout Europe. Its composition was modified and it was renamed Nutella, and the first jar left the factory in Alba in 20th of April 1964. Next, pineapples. Now, it's a bit weird that I'm bringing up pineapples. You're probably thinking, what, what significance does pineapples have on history? Well, it turns out in the 18th century, pineapples were status symbols and you could even rent one for a night. Even though they are a common fruit these days, something and something you mostly see cut up in your salad or on sale at the grocery store or, more disgustingly, on pizzas, in the 1700s, the fruit's crown-like top and gem-like texture was seen as a symbol of wealth and power. Originally from South America, pineapples were discovered by Christopher Columbus on one of his voyages to the New World. When he brought them back to Spain, many Europeans, royalty in particular, were completely taken by the delicacy. It was a rare, beautiful fruit most people had never encountered before, and artists began incorporating pineapples into their work. The pineapple made its way to England in the 17th century and by the 18th century, being seen as one of the instant indicators of wealth, a single pineapple could cost the equivalent of $8,000 today, which is roughly around about seven grand in British GBP. In fact, the fruit was so desirable and rare that consumers often rented a pineapple for the night to show off to fellow partygoers. Now, at the end of World War II, Japan posted their full declaration of surrender, which was called the Dual Voice Broadcast. It was a radio broadcast in which Japanese Emperor Hirohito read out the imperial rescript of the termination of war, which announced to the Japanese people that the government had accepted the declaration demanding the unconditional surrender of the Japanese military at the end of World War II. This was broadcast on August 15, 1945, after the Battle of Okinawa, the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the Soviet invasion of Manchuria. Now, the speech was probably the first time that the Emperor of Japan had spoken, and it was delivered via a phonograph record to the Allied Nation of America, and it had to be smuggled out of the Imperial Palace in a basket of women's underwear. Bit crazy, that. Now, 
If ever you've been worrying about something or you've been working hard at something, sometimes it's easy to forget to sleep. That, that sounds a bit weird, I know, but there's been times when I've been working on projects or playing video games or I've been a little bit too worried about something and then before you know it, sunrise has arrived and you've not had that much sleep. Well, how long can humans actually stay awake? Well, the longest recorded time spent awake was in 1965 when high school students stayed awake for 264 hours, which is about 11 days. This was confirmed by J. Kristen Gillen, who was a professor of psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego, who conducts research on sleep, chronobiology and mood disorders. This is pretty crazy. Randy Gardner, a 17-year-old high school student, set this apparent world record for a science fair. Several other normal research subjects have remained awake for 8 to 10 days in carefully monitored experiments. None of these individuals experienced serious medical, neurological, physiological or psychiatric problems. On the other hand, all of them showed progressive and significant deficits in concentration, motivation, perception and other higher mental processes as the duration of sleep deprivation increased. Nevertheless, all experimental subjects recovered to relative normality within one or two nights of recovery sleep. Strange. I feel the deficit of concentration and motivation after a few hours of being awake. So, I don't know how these people got away with 11 days worth of not sleeping. And now, we go to wrong answers in school tests. Chances are, whenever you got something just a little bit wrong, or you try to get a little bit sarcastic with your working out by putting using my head instead of the actual sum that you use to work out a particular math question, you'd get some kind of feedback in red ink from your teacher. Well, it turns out it's been around for longer than you think when the school teachers have actually been using red ink to correct assignments for at least 3,900 years. The confirmation of this was from a writing board which was used for writing notes or school exercises, which is like the slate writing tablets of yesteryear and could be used repeatedly. The old text could be whitewashed off this board of off this plank of wood that was used by people in Egypt from 1981 BC. The board itself, which was discovered to prove this point, was said to be from Upper Egypt. Thebes or Northern Upper Egypt Akmim. And now we turn to the musical history part of this podcast and we start with Frank Sinatra and one of his classic songs, My Way, written by Paul Anker way, way, way back in 1969. This came as Frank Sinatra admitted that he had to end up singing pop music, which he hated at the time. And Anger says his fondness for this song has waned. Quote unquote, I stayed in a hotel room in Boston and there were 82 Irishmen on Paddy's Day singing my way till four in the morning. I got sick of it after a while and I'm not surprised 
that's the case. But the more interesting fact behind this is the fact the um the individualization of the song. So when he says I did it my way was it connected with a lot of people and especially a lot of people on the way out, so to say. Paul Anker himself received hundreds of letters from guys on death row. Quote unquote from Paul, everyone thinks it's their song, but how many people really do it their own way? Next, the Beach Boys. Now, pop music is very fickle in terms of any kind of originality throughout the genre, and the Beach Boys were no different. There would always be a lot of similarities to any kind of other songs around that time as well and it's the same quite recent it's same in modern times as well you'll see odd lawsuits come up saying that odd songs are quite identical well it turns out i found out today that the beach boys stole their song never learn not to love from serial killer charles manson which is one of the more unique cases of stealing a song Wilson, an associate of Manson's, took one of Manson's songs, which is called Cease to Exist, and turned it into the Beach Boys' own composition, composition sorry, with Wilson giving himself full songwriting credit for the track. We actually recorded that song, Mike Love from the Beach Boys said in the excerpt. I was never told the origins of the song. As far as I knew, Dennis had written it. The song theft enraged Manson, who threatened Wilson and at one point left a bullet on the drummer's bed. I gave Dennis Wilson a bullet, didn't I? I gave him a bullet because he changed the words to my song. Manson told Diane Sawyer in an infamous interview. However, Manson restrained himself from violence as Wilson's good friend Terry Melcher was a star producer at the time and Manson was hopeful that Melcher could secure him a record recording contract. However, when this contract was reneged by Melcher, Manson and his followers declared Helter Skelter, resulting in a string of murders that marred the late 60s. It's weird how these things start. And now we turn to the rather gory history of England specifically Oliver Cromwell. Today I learned, chances are many of you who are well knowledge in history probably already know this, but to those who may be surprised by it, he was hanged and beheaded three years after he died. He died officially on Friday, September 3rd, 1658, and the cause was presumed to be septicemia. And he was executed after that on January the 30th, 1661, also called a posthumous execution. Following his death, he was buried at Henry VII's chapel, but he was dug back up and executed. And his body's, the body was hung and then beheaded at sunset and thrown into an unmarked pit. And the head was put on a spike at Westminster Hall where it stayed on display for more than 20 years, and the head only came down because a storm broke the spike and sent the heads tumbling down. How's that for gory? And after death, we talk about life, specifically saving people's lives with revolutionary health treatment of 1,000 years ago. 
In a 1,000-year-old remedy book, there was a treatment for MRSA 800 years before the disease was actually spotted and actually identified. This treatment for eye infections held the key to killing the antibiotic-resistant superbugs such as MRSA. Now, what was the fix behind it? Well, it turns out what you needed to do was rub Arlic, Arlic, onion, and garlic, and part of a cow's stomach. You mixed it all together, and you consumed it. It must not have been a tasty situation, but it turned out it actually helped. Fascinating. And finally, it's time for trivia time. It's time for me to test those brains of yours out there and see how, well, let's not put it on a gauge of being smart. Let's just see who has the most random knowledge packed in their grey matter. Today, the question is around football, specifically booking. Now, football or soccer for American fans out there, um, whenever a foul is committed, obviously they can either get a stern telling off or they either receive a yellow card or a red card. Now, when were the yellow and red cards for football invented? In what year? Once again, in what year were yellow and red cards invented for the game of football or soccer? Call in with your answers. If you tap on my chan- if you tap on my station, then you'll see a little speech bubble. Tap that and call in. Um, also, if you have any other weird and wonderful facts, do also call in as well or pop up in the discussion segment too. And that's it for Learn Something today. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, if you have your own weird and wonderful facts or if you have any reactions to it, pop on to the New Vice Media Anchor Station if you're listening to it right now on Anchor. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for listening. Do give us a round of applause or favourite the station for more. Um, do call in as well with any weird and wonderful facts you may have or to take part in trivia time. If you're listening to this on podcast services around, so that's Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, we're not on there just yet. We're on Pocket Cast, we're on Overcast, we're on Google Play Podcasts. Then subscribe, rate us five stars, thumbs up, um, and leave us a review. Any kind of feedback like that is super helpful for us to help improve the show for you guys as well. And if you have any strange facts of your own, you can even do like submit them in by popping onto the anchor station or also by going and finding me on Twitter, which is at Mr. Jason England. Um, you can also find any kind of stories that I write about the wonderful world of technology, science and geek culture on newrisingmedia.com. This is, of course, the official podcast of that blog. I'd be a terrible human being if I did not at least plug that website at least once. It's a pretty decent place to go to go to read. Um, All that's left for me to say now is thank you all so, so much for listening. The audience has been growing at quite an exponential rate. I'm going to leave this podcast with a nice calling that I had from a guy who spoke about the recent segment that I did on Weird Wednesday about really silly lawsuits that people did. And yeah, it's always great to hear from you all. So yeah, I hope to hear from you all soon again. 
Take care. I'll see you all tomorrow. Bye. Hey, Jason and the Learn Something crew. That was a crazy story about the guy taking God to court. It does raise some great questions on like what courts should really be hearing and what is a legitimate case. Thanks for sharing. Really inspiring channel. I love what you're creating.